There you go. All right. My name's Chris, one of the pastors here at Bethany. Uh, I hope that you came here excited this morning. I hope that you came with some expectation that God is going to speak to your heart. Uh, if you're brand new to church, if this is your first time here, welcome. Thanks for being here. Uh, I hope you feel comfortable uh, where you're sitting. And we're going to engage in a conversation here this morning. So I really hope this morning uh, as I speak, I just want to invite you into this conversation. Uh, I don't want to speak at you. Some of you probably have that expectation uh, that when the pastor gets on stage or the preacher's up there, that, that he's just going to pontificate about something, he's going to speak about something, and I might get a piece of, piece of something to take away. Well, I hope this morning is different. I hope we can wrestle with some things, and, and maybe I can challenge some perspective, make you think a little bit, but that we can engage in a conversation. Uh, I'm not at all saying I have all the answers, uh, but I really feel like God has uh, said some things to me this week, challenged some, challenged some areas of my life, and so I hope that I can just uh, share that with you. So if you've been with us uh, throughout the summer, you know that we're in this book of Hebrews. That's where we get this, this sermon series, Jesus is Better. We've been in Hebrews uh, since, I believe, Memorial Day weekend or around that point, and some of you are thinking, yes, we're finally getting to the end of this book. We've got two more weeks to go. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, I'm glad you've enjoyed it. It's one of my uh, favorite books of the Bible, uh, and I, I have enjoyed this series. Well, as we come down the home stretch, there's kind of a shift in the book, and so I want to point this out to you. You know, theology and doctrine are important. I won't argue with you on that. They are very important. It's important that we have a good understanding of who God is and, and the kind of the laws that he's given us, the way that life has been laid out for us, our doctrine, our understanding of who God is. That's all important stuff. But if we do not know how to apply it to our lives, if we cannot apply those things that we understand about God, if we cannot apply it to our lives and have some kind of practical application, then I would argue that it's worthless. You've all probably known that person that has, like, has it all down, understands the Bible inside and out, but when it comes to the way they treat people, when it comes to the practical application in their lives, they're missing something. Well, what I like about what we're getting into here in the second part of Hebrews chapter 12 is now the author's kind of going to shift from this, all this doctrine and theology into now how do I apply this to my life? What does this look like? How do we apply some of these principles? And I think we all appreciate that. Uh, So what I want to do here with us is jump in Hebrews chapter 12. As I said, Uh, if you wouldn't mind, open with me to that passage. Uh, If you are new to the scripture, uh, please feel free. If you don't have a Bible to take one of those uh, in the pew there, open up with us. We'll be on page 1017 if that makes it easy for you. Uh, If you don't own a Bible and would like one, uh, please feel free to have that one uh, as a gift from us to you. So I think it's good for us to read uh, the scripture together. Uh, I'm not going to make you repeat with me. You can just follow along and listen, but I think it's good for us to kind of get a grasp for the passage that we're going to be in. So let's read from uh, Hebrews chapter 12. I'll start in verse 14. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. And watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up in you to trouble you and corrupting many. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterward when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. 
It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. And I'd make a comment here for those of you who are unfamiliar with the scripture, or maybe you just forget this story. But if you go back to Genesis, uh, I believe it's Genesis 25, you'll see the story of uh, these two sons, uh, Esau and Jacob. Esau was the firstborn. Jacob was the second. Uh, The birthright was a really important thing back then in the nation of Israel. To be the firstborn son had a lot of rights and privileges. And Esau was a guy, and I'm I'm mentioning this because I want you to think about this as we get into the second half of what we're about to read. But Esau was a guy who had his mind uh, and his, his eyesight, his perspective was very, very narrow. He was focused on the things that were here and now. Kind of instant gratification might be a better way to put this. He wanted something quickly, and so he kind of put off the things uh, that were kind of down the road that were important, and he, he kind of took this perspective that I want something now. That's why he gave up his birthright. If you read Genesis chapter uh, 25, he gives up his birthright for a meal. Because he was that hungry. He was so hungry that he gives up his birthright, trades it away, and then weeps in bitter tears that he doesn't have it in the end. But he had given it up. He had sold it to his younger brother, uh, Jacob, for the price of a meal. So just keep that in the back of your mind as we go through this here. So verse 18, you have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If any animal, or if even an animal, touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. That's a profound statement considering Moses would have seen God speaking to him through a burning bush before this. The fact that Moses is trembling and terrified should tell us something. Verse 22, no, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and his people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking, for if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. Let us pray. Father, I pray that you would do some work in our hearts today. I thank you that you are our father, that you love us, that you call us your children. And Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning in the midst of our need uh, to humbly come before you, surrender our hearts before you, and be ready to hear what you have to say to us. Uh, Father, I pray... Uh, that you would speak through me, that I wouldn't say anything that would uh, hinder anyone's growth or that would be uh, found to be false. Uh, and if I do, Lord, may we forget it. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I want to talk to you this morning about uh, perspective. Uh, to kind of help us get the bigger picture of this idea, I want to talk uh, with you about perspective. Uh, in this room right now, all right, I have a very different perspective than all of you. Right. I'm standing on a stage looking at many different people, uh, thinking about what I'm going to say next, hoping that it connects with you. Uh, you, on the other hand, are sitting there and uh, you're looking at one person, hopefully. Uh, you're looking at me, you're 
you're uh, listening to what I'm saying, hopefully. Hopefully I haven't lost you. Uh, perhaps I've already lost you. Perhaps you're already uh, daydreaming about lunch or plans for later, or you're thinking about school starting tomorrow and the fear of that setting in, uh, whatever it is. But we have different perspectives. We're in the same room, but we have two very different perspectives. Uh, I was thinking about this with school starting. Um, I was thinking about the fact that with school starting next week, or or, I mean this Monday, for most of you, some of you will start next week, I suppose. Others of you have started already. Uh, I was thinking about the different perspectives with which uh, teachers and students were heading into the classroom. Some students are heading into the classroom and they are, uh, they're kind of, they've paid their dues. They're kind of at the top of the class, those sixth graders, those seniors. There's not a lot of fear in them anymore because they know what to expect. Uh, they've, they've gone through it. They're ready for it. Uh, but, and then I thought about those that are just starting, those that are going into seventh grade, maybe entering the middle school or those who are entering kindergarten. And there's a lot of fear there. There's like, there might be this anticipation, but there's also some fear of what's going to happen and what, what do I have to expect and what, what's going to be expected of me and, and, and am, am I going to be all right? Is somebody going to pick on me in the bus or whatever it might be? There's all these different perspectives that are headed into the classroom. And then I thought about the teachers as well. And there's probably different perspectives there. For some teachers, it's their first year. And they have a lot of uh, energy. They're excited about making a difference in the lives of students. They have this, they have this almost naive thought that I'm, I'm going to change the world through empowering these young minds. And I'm going to share all this knowledge with them. And, and it's going to be a great experience and great year, which I hope that it is. But maybe it won't be. And what about those teachers who have been at it for so long? And this is their final year, and they're just finishing out their tenure. They're just finishing out what they started. And they already have been through the war. They know what to expect. They know some of these kids I'm going to engage with, and some of these kids I may not. And so same place, same time, different perspectives. I'll share another story with you that might help uh, illustrate this even a little better. Uh, this past Tuesday, my wife and I, Aaron, had the chance to take uh, our four oldest kids to Hershey Park. We were blessed. Uh, somebody was able to, generous enough to give us passes uh, because Hershey Park is expensive. Wow. It's really expensive. So we were blessed with these passes. We got to take the kids. We told the kids about it. We're going to Hershey Park. All this anticipation. They're excited. This is awesome. We're going, going to Hershey Park. They love it. All right, so we get there, the day's going fairly well, and I'm noticing something as I'm, we're, or we're making our way through the day. I'm noticing that the people that work there, and I don't know if any of you have ever noticed this, but the attendants that work at Hershey Park are the most miserable people on the face of the planet. Like, it, honestly, if I didn't know better, I would have thought that, like, each and every one of these, most of them are teenage, young adult people, that, like, their parents punished them by sending them to Hershey Park. It's like, all right, son, you blew it. You're going to go stand in that line, and you're going to make sure those kids go down that, that water slide one at a time, all right? That's your punishment for the day. Because they are just miserable. They stand there they're like, dispatch, all right? So they're letting the roller coasters go. And I'm thinking, what is Hershey Park doing? Like their tagline. Does anybody know what their tagline is? Hershey Park happy, right? That's like they got this hashtag, Hershey Park happy. I'm like, who's happy around here? Nobody's happy. Somebody forgot to tell the employees that that was the tagline. Then we go further through the day. We go further through the day. We're getting into late afternoon, 4 or 5 o'clock, and I'm starting to notice that there's other people that aren't happy too. 
Like as we're standing in line, there's other parents, right? There's other parents that are really clearly not happy anymore. They're, they're frustrated. And at one point, we're standing in this line, and there was this woman there with her children, and she looks down at one of them one time and like grabs him. Her face is kind of clenched. She's kind of angry, and she's like, you will stand there, and you will be quiet. And I'm thinking, okay, so all of a sudden, we entered the library. Like, so we're not going... On the title force now, we're going to go on into the library. So, and I'm thinking, why is this happening? Why, what is going on in this place? And the kids are getting anxious and, and frustrated. Now, this isn't true across the board. Some kids, our kids seem to have a pretty good time. They weren't, weren't getting angry. We were holding it together. Mainly because we only took the four oldest ones. If we had taken the two youngest ones, I would have been that guy. But, but anyway, it... I realized something as we went through the day. I realized that there were different perspectives that we were approaching these, this day with. I want you to just think about this. So the person who works there, they've been there probably every day this summer, six out of seven days. They just, they've seen these kids come through the line, and they've had to put up with it day in and day out, and so they're tired of it. They're just ready to be on to whatever's next. They're ready for Hershey to close the doors and go on to something else. The parents, though, the parents have set out, and they've spent all kinds of money. They've shelled out a lot of money, $250, $300, $400, $500, depending on how many kids you have. It's very expensive. They've probably taken a day off work. They've made time in their schedule to be there at this place, and so the parents are thinking, all right, I've spent all of this money. I've taken time out of my my schedule. You will follow the rules. You will listen to me and we will have a good day. If you don't disrupt my day, you do what you're supposed to do. This is going to be a good day. On the other hand, though, the kids, think about the kids' perspective. So we told our kids, you know, we're going there for you. This is a good, we're going to have a good time. So the kids are thinking automatically, they're thinking this day is all about me. So whatever I want, I should get. If I want cotton candy, I should get it. If I want to go on that ride, I should get it. If I want to play that game, I should get it, right? So they're thinking, This day is all about me, and if you don't disrupt my day, mom and dad, it will go well for you, right? So we have these different, same place, same time, three very different perspectives. We're looking at these, this event in life, this one place, this one time, we're looking at it very differently. So I want to flip this around for you. I want you to think about in your own personal life, right? I'm going to ask you a couple questions just to think about, get you, stir this in your mind to think about what is my perspective of life, all right? So through what lens do you view life? When you woke up this morning, did you think life is a gift? You know what? Today is a gift that God has given me, and I view life that way. Or is life a burden to you? Maybe you view life through the lens that it's just a burden. I just got a grin and bear it. I got to make it through. Or maybe there's some experiences that you've had that have really hurt you and shaped you. And so it's, it's just been painful. And you're, you're viewing life through that lens of the, the failed marriage or uh, the broken relationships or the financial collapse. And all of life seems to be viewed through this one event or series of events that has shaped your life. And so now that's the perspective that you carry through life. The next question I'd have for you. Through what lens do you view people? How do you view the people around you? How do you view the people in your family? How do you view your coworkers, your neighbors? Do you look at people in your life as a gift? Do you view them as these people are a gift? Or do you view view them as somebody or something or someone 
to get you to the next place in life. They're there to fulfill what you want, to fulfill your need in life. Whether it's your spouse, whether it's your children, whether it's coworkers, whatever it may be, how do you view them? How do you look at them? And what is your perspective of them? And then the last one, through what lens do you view God? I thought Adam did a great job, Pastor Adam did a great job on this last week, talking about uh, God and as he disciplines us. When God disciplines us, it can give us, it can make it hard for us to view him in a way that he is a loving father graciously disciplining his children. So we're experiencing pain, trial, and suffering as, in life as his grace to help us fix our eyes on him, stay focused on what's important. Do we view God as a loving father or do we view him perhaps as an angry tax, taskmaster or detached or whatever you may put in there? The reason I ask these questions, why should we even talk about them, is because I think the answers to these questions are immensely important because they shape our perspective at life. They shape the way we approach every single day. The day that you start today, tomorrow, the next day, they shape the way you go through life. I would also tell you that these answers to these questions may be somewhat fluid. And I mean that they're not concrete. Like some days you might look at life, like wake up and say, today's a gift. The next day you might not. The next day you might struggle. I I say this because also I'll give you an example. This week uh, I was experiencing a a sinus infection, probably one of the uh, worst that I've had in my life. I've had several of them, but it just kind of hung on. It wasn't that the pain was all that bad, but every morning I kept waking up with it and I thought that it would go away. And it didn't, so there's pressure behind my eyes. And this one actually hurt so much that I could feel it, like in my teeth, which I've never had that before. Uh, But I say that because that influenced my perspective on life. I wasn't exactly excited to wake up with a sinus infection that hurt. You know, I wasn't like, yes, this is a good thing. I'm excited to take on this day. I was more like, I just want to turn the lights off and lay in bed. Because it influenced my perspective. So if you're going through certain times in your life, you have to recognize that your answers to these questions might change based on circumstances. But I hope that as we get to the end of what we've been talking about, that our circumstances impact our perspective less and less, even though I think it's impossible for us to completely uh, get beyond them. So with that said, I want to jump into, kind of take that framework and jump into the passage here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. So what you will find here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, there's this, this command, this instruction. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. So two things that I... I don't care if you're 8 or 88, I think you have to work at these things. I don't think these things come easily. I don't think we drift towards peace and holiness in our lives. I think we need to constantly be working towards these things, pushing towards them, because I don't think it's natural for us to, to drift there. And I'll give you an example. Just, just look at the world around you. I don't think any one of us in here would say that our world, the world, is at peace, Right? There's all kinds of turmoil throughout the world. Even in our own country, there seems to be more turmoil and angst in our country than ever before, or at least that I've been alive for. Probably not ever before, but at least that I've experienced. There's a lot of angst and pressure. There's hardly peace here in the United States right now. Also, look at your own family. 
right? Look at your own family and think for a second. Now, I know for most of us, when we think about our family and we, we, we put a lot of stuff out there on social media, right? We, we put the, the beautiful pictures out and all of that. And I would tell you this. I, I, what I'm about to say is not slamming on social media, okay? Your kids are cute. They're beautiful. Keep posting your pictures. It's all right. It's awesome. But what I will say is we have to acknowledge that that is only half of the story, right? Can we at least be honest about that? That in our homes, there's not, a constant, uh, there's not a constant level of peace in our homes. Our kids don't roll out of bed with a halo on and this holiness. They walk downstairs, ah, here I am, mom and dad. I'm holy today. That doesn't happen, right? And I never see the parents who post the pictures of the arguments or the fighting, right? I don't see that on Instagram. But I know it happens in your house because it happens in my house and it happens in everybody's house. But we're just not... We just don't put it out there, and that's all right. There's probably, it's not appropriate to put it out there. But we have to be honest that that's not the full picture. That's the picture that we want, but it's not the complete picture. So, with that in mind, peace is something that we have to work at. We have to push towards it. We have to work at it. We have to be diligent in this. We have to be intentional in trying to create this in our homes. So live at, work at living in peace with everyone. Well, the question might be, well, how do I do it? Then, Chris, you're talking about how do, how do I work at it? What does that look like? Well, the greatest thing that has helped me on this pursuit is this word of perspective. To keep in mind the perspectives and change those perspectives from being focused just simply on me and the, in the here and now and in this moment and the heat or the pain of this moment and fixing my perspective outward on a bigger, larger thing, on a greater thing, on the kingdom of God. And through reading scripture, through my own personal experience, one of the things that I I have realized that has hit me full well is that I cannot, hear me on this, I cannot achieve holiness in and of myself, no matter how hard I work at it. I cannot achieve holiness in and of myself. And there's some passages that are going to help us with this in Hebrews Hebrews chapter 7. For the law never made anything perfect. And I would add any one. It's never made anyone perfect. The law was not given to make us perfect. All the law did was point us to the fact that there's a distance between us and God. So even if I worked at it as hard as I could, I could not be perfect in and of myself, just working at trying to be obedient to the law. But now we have confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God. So what makes us holy? Well, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory, and it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. So now Jesus, and the one he makes, what? Holy. It's Jesus that makes us holy. It's his blood, his death on the cross, and our faith in him. That's what makes us holy. Have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. So it's the blood of Christ that makes us, makes us holy. It's his sacrifice that sets us apart. So you might ask the question, well, Chris, I hear what you're saying, but why do I need to work at it then? Why is the author in Hebrews chapter 12 tell me that I need to work towards holiness or work at holiness? Well, look at something with me. Pay careful attention to the words here. He does not say that you can earn holiness. That's not what he says. It's not there. It's not possible. You can work at it as hard as you want. You're not going to earn it outside 
of the blood of Christ. Outside of surrendering to who Jesus is, you're not going to earn it. You can't earn it. And I think this is why. So what, what, what is he asking? What's he saying? Why, how do we work at this? What does this mean? Well, I don't think what he's saying is, I don't think he's saying you have to try to earn it. That's not his intention. That's not his point here. And notice what, he, uh, what else he says. He also says that those who are not holy will not see the Lord. So this is something important. We need to pay attention to it. Because I think every one of us in this room, no matter where you're at with God, we don't want to be eternally separated from him and we don't want to be in a place called hell. We would rather spend our eternity in a place called heaven. And so in order to do that, he says we need holiness. Well, how, do, how in the world do we get holiness? Well, throughout the New Testament, throughout the New Testament, what the writers tell us to do, even in Hebrews chapter 12, at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12, what does he say? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And there's this continual theme throughout the New Testament. Fix your eyes, change your perspective, continue to look to the kingdom of God. Stop looking just at the here and now. Remember what I told you about Esau? Esau was so fixed on here and now. Give me the food. I just, I'm hungry. I just want it now. That he would give up his birthright. And I wonder for us, we live in the intensity of the moments and we get so focused on this here and now that we're not fixed on, all right, God's kingdom and what he's doing. So this is how I would define this passage. You're saying, what does it look like to work? Well, working towards holiness is an active pursuit of surrender to Jesus. And I don't think surrender to Jesus comes natural to any one of us. Surrendering to Jesus So this is what it looks like. I'm going to die to myself. So I'm going to forgive others today because Christ forgave me. Somebody offends me, I'm going to forgive them. Why? Because Christ forgave me. That's surrendering to Jesus. I'm going to serve others today. Why am I going to serve others today? Because Jesus served me. He's called me to serve others. I'm going to have grace on others because Jesus has had grace on me. I'm going to be about the work of the kingdom of God. Because that's what God is about. He's about his kingdom, not my kingdom. I'm going to live with self-control. I'm not going to indulge in the flesh and things like porn or excessive eating or excessive alcohol consumption. Why? Because I'm going to surrender daily to Jesus Christ. I'm going to actively pursue in my life to surrender to him. And so what do we do to get there? Well, I think it's so important that we put something in our daily lives that reminds us of this because it's not natural for us. So we need something to continually fix our perspective that the pain of here and now is light and momentary. It's momentary, it's temporary when you put it into perspective of eternity. So we need something in our daily lives to push us towards this. And my answer to this, my number one answer to this is open up the word of God on a daily basis. And some of you look at me and say, I, I just, I've tried to do that. I can't do that. I don't like reading, whatever it is. Well, then find something, something. Maybe it's listening to a, a message, a podcast. Maybe it's listening to a different playlist on your way to work, whatever it is, but something that's going to fix your mind on the fact that you are a child. If you put your faith in Jesus, you are a child of the living God and that you are living for a kingdom bigger than this one. And it will change the way you look at the moments of here and now. It will change the way you live with people. I want you to, I want to 
make this point for you. Because this just jumped off the page this week for me as I studied this. And, and I don't even know if I can give this justice, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. Look at this with me for a second. So the writer speaking here to this, this group of people that are contemplating putting their faith in Jesus. I believe many of them have, and, but they're wrestling with, do we go back to this Old Testament system, to the old law, or do we go with Jesus? Do we put our faith in him? And so they're wrestling with that. And he says, you have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and a whirlwind as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. And Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. What the Israelites came to when they came to Mount Sinai and God was giving them the Ten Commandments, what they came to was the law. Right? They came to the law. God was giving them the law. And as I said before, all the law gave them was we aren't good enough in and of ourselves to be right with God. There's a separation between us and God. There's a barrier here that we cannot cross. That's what the law gave them. And now he says, listen to what he says about us, those who have put their faith in Jesus. No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Listen to where you've come, the heavenly Jerusalem, to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself. You've come to God the Father who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. Think about this. Some of you in this room have lost loved ones along this journey called life. You've seen others pass from this life into the next and the scripture promises us that you, if they are believers in him that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and they are part now of this. They are part of this kingdom of God, the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. And I love what Pastor Adam drew out of uh, chapter 11, that there's this whole multitude that is now cheering us on, right? There's this multitude of angels, this multitude of saints. This is the kingdom of God where you now have come. This is the kingdom that you represent. This is the kingdom that you are a part of. In verse 24, you have come to Jesus Jesus, look at it in, in the picture of the law there, how Jesus is different than the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. He was the perfection that the law required. Jesus fulfilled that. So we haven't come to a place of fear and trembling, like how in the world can I fulfill this because I can't? We've come to the grace of Jesus who's already fulfilled it for us. And he says, you have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. You are a part of God's kingdom. You've come to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So now with that perspective, what I want to do with you is come back to this passage in verse 14. So how do I live at peace with people? Peace does not come naturally to us. So how do I do it? How do I live at peace? Work at living in peace with everyone. And I believe, my conviction, is that it's all about our perspective. How is it possible that Jesus, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, 
And you see Jesus comes along and he says this. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And you look at Jesus and I look at Jesus and I say, Jesus, how is that possible? Don't you know how they've hurt me? Don't you know how they've slandered me? Don't you know how they've talked about me? How is it possible for me to love them? How is it possible for me to pray for them? I mean, think about this. Jesus is on the cross. He's hanging on the cross. And there are those there that are mocking him, saying, if you're the son of God, take yourself down off the cross. They're mocking him. And Jesus looks at them and says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. But how many of us, when somebody is an enemy of ours or somebody's slandering us or somebody's hurting us, how many of us look at them and say, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do? But see, I think when our mind isn't so much on the pain of here and now or that momentary trouble, and our mind is on this kingdom perspective, we recognize that God is in the business of setting people free. He's in the business of opening the eyes of the blind and setting the hearts of captives free, right? That's the business he's about, and so I want to be about that. And when I am about that, it's hard, it's impossible for me to hold grudges against others, because I'm recognized, this is bigger than the moment. They, these people, they have a problem with me right now. They, there's something, there's some internal conflict right now, and they have a problem with me, but this is bigger. God's, God's at work in something bigger than just this momentary event. And so I need to release that. I need to forgive them. I need to pray for them. I need to love them because I'm part of a bigger kingdom. It's not just today. I don't have to win this battle today. Maybe it's tomorrow, maybe it's next month, maybe it's next year, but it's a bigger picture. And I want to be a part of what God is redeeming. And if I set up against them and I battle them, whoever it is, and I fight with them, and, I'm, and I dig my heels in and I say, I'm right, they're wrong. It's impossible to live at peace that way. There's always going to be turmoil. There's always going to be separation in that. So I'd ask you the question, somebody holds a strong opinion that you disagree with. Can you live at peace with that? Do you have to bring it up every time you're together? Or can you just let it go? God's part of a, I'm part of a bigger kingdom. We don't need to fight on that. We don't need to fight about it. Someone doesn't meet your expectations or your standard. Can you live at peace with them? Maybe they say hurtful things about you. They, they cheat you. They steal from you. And I'm not suggesting at all. If you're hearing this, please, please let me correct your thinking. I'm not suggesting at all that you just lay down, roll over, and die, all right? I'm not saying you just take it, all right? That's not at all what I'm suggesting. But what I am suggesting is what the scriptures tell us. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, for as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's a long way. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You need to do everything you can to live at peace with others. Because it's what God's instructed us. It's being part of his kingdom. It's bigger than us. And then we go on and we get down here a little bit and we say, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. And that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time on. This idea of bitterness. And here's what I would say about this. Bitterness is something that sets in when you lose your kingdom perspective. Bitterness will set in in your heart when you've lost your kingdom perspective and it becomes all about now, it becomes about me, it becomes about the moment, it becomes about the hurt or the event or whatever it was. That's what starts to set in. So 
I need to lighten the mood here a little bit. This has been kind of heavy. I can see it on your faces. You're like, whoa, this is heavy. All right, so we're going to lighten the mood. So did you all get the, the candy that you, you got when you came in? All right, did anybody not get it? I got some ushers back there. If you didn't get a piece, raise your hand. All right, there's a couple. I see a couple hands. Go ahead, raise your hand. You should have a piece of candy, right? Candy for everyone. All right, so a couple disclaimers before we do this thing here, all right? Um, first disclaimer is if you're allergic to sour stuff, you don't want to eat this. I don't know if any, I don't, I've never met a person who's allergic to anything sour. I don't think that's an allergy, but I'm just throwing it out there just to cover my bases. Um, and then the second thing is, if you read the candy, uh, did, did you get a piece over here? Did you get some? No, that doesn't count. You need a piece. They, they, they need some over here, Ron. There you go. All right. Uh, there's a disclaimer on that piece of candy that says if you eat too many of these uh, in a short amount of time, it can cause damage. All right. So I was testing these things out. Right. And I put one on my tongue, like one spot in my tongue, and I just started to suck as hard as I could. It literally uh, burned my tongue. So don't, don't just put it in one spot and just like, okay, you got to move it around a little bit, all right? But I want you all to participate. Now, if you don't keep it in the whole time, I, I understand you're a wimp. It's all right. Um, <laughs> but what I want you to do is I want you to look at a person next to you. Look at somebody in your area. Maybe they're not beside you. Look, turn around and look at somebody, all right? And as you do it, all right, as you're looking at them, then put the candy in your mouth. All right, put the candy in your mouth and look at the person next to you. (laughs) All right. So I saw a couple of you. Some of you are tough. I, I saw one person in particular did not change his facial expression the whole time. That took, some, that took some real willpower right there. Most of you, though, you like, it's almost like a gag reflex takes place when you put that thing in your mouth, right? All right, so here's the point of those things. Now, that sour taste will wear off in like, I don't know, 30 seconds or something. If you can get through that first 30 seconds, it'll actually get a little better for you. Um, But the reason I did that is because we live with this idea, all right, and we don't even think about this. I think this is a subtle, kind of under-the-surface idea that when we live with bitterness in our heart, and maybe we're not even willing to admit it, but when we live with bitterness in our heart, we think that other people don't notice it. But I want to tell you, just like the candy there, your facial expression betrays you. It gives you away, all right? If you live with bitterness in your heart, The words that come out of your mouth, the actions that you have, they betray you. You can't hide bitterness. I've been around so many people, and it's probably other people have probably been around me at times when I've been bitter about something. And I hear people talk. I hear people talk about things like uh, I'll give you a couple of examples here like their job, like their boss, the promotion that they thought they should get, right? The government, politics about the relationships that were broken off, about sports teams that lost, believe it or not, (laughs) about parents or children. And when bitterness sets in and you talk about those things, it is obvious, as obvious as your facial expression was to your neighbor, bitterness is as obvious, it comes out 
It flows out of your words. You cannot hide it. I've been around so many people where they're talking about something and I'm thinking, oh, they're so bitter about that moment or that failure or that loss, whatever it was, and it's taking root in their heart. And I can't plead with you enough. The scriptures tell us, do not allow that bitter root to grow up in your heart and trouble you and corrupt many. I wonder how many families have been destroyed by a root of bitterness that started to grow and was untended. It wasn't cut out. It wasn't taken out. And it grew up within the family and it destroyed that family. It corrupted that family. And you might be sitting there and you might say, but Chris, you don't understand. You don't know how they abandoned me, how they cheated on me, how they abused me, how they neglected me, or how they didn't do enough for me. And this is a a real important pastoral moment. So I want to honor this moment with care. I want to walk gently here. Uh, And I know that some of you are twice my age, uh, but this is a moment where I really feel like I need to speak to you as, as a father does. Because I believe that bitterness sets in under the surface. And bitterness will kill you. And it will kill your witness for Jesus. Bitterness will kill you and it will kill your witness for Jesus. Bitterness is always ugly when it's directed towards people. And it's even worse when it's directed at God. And you might say, well, if God loved me, he would have protected me from that. If God loved me, he would have protected me from that. Listen to me for a second. That's a lie. God does love you. I know it for sure because his scripture says that he does. His word says that he does and he is faithful. And I'll ask you this question. How do you know? How do you know when that person was hurting you, whatever it was, How do you know that God didn't weep over that? How God didn't cry while one of his children hurt one of his other children? And how do you know that God doesn't want to redeem that story? How do you know that God doesn't want to lead that person who hurt you back to repentance, back to himself, that he could redeem that story? And how how do you know that he doesn't want to use you and your story And whatever's been done to you, whatever's hurt you that's caused this bitterness, how do you know that he doesn't want to redeem that so that you can walk in freedom and bless others who have been hindered in the same way or hurt in the same way? And for some of us, what we want is we want justice, right? We want justice. I want them to pay for what they did. I I want them to to pay for how they hurt me. And I believe that 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 feeling of justice, God is a God of justice, I believe that that comes from God. But we have to understand this. You have to understand this for a second. All sin, every one of those sins that somebody's committed against you, it will be paid for in full. And it will either be paid for by them, the one who's hurt you, in a place called hell, eternal separation from God. And they will pay the penalty of that sin. Or... It will be paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. If they put their faith in Jesus, it will be paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I wonder for a second, if we were standing in the line, right? If we're standing in that line before the judgment seat of God, and God is taking those that are part of the family and he's moving them to the one side and he's moving the others and looking at them and saying, depart from me, I never knew you. 
I wonder if in that moment we won't weep, even if it's our greatest enemy, if we wouldn't look at that and weep and say, God, have mercy on them. Don't send them to that place. We hold all this bitterness in our heart, but I think it's because our perspective is so, it's so minute, it's so small. And if we would just open our eyes and see that God is giving us this kingdom. And I jumped ahead of myself here. There's a passage that will help, uh, I think can help us. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 19. It says, dear friends, never take revenge. And I would say this, I think bitterness is a form of revenge. When we hold bitterness in our heart, I'm going to hold something against you. I'm going to hold this grievance against you. I believe it's taking a form of revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. Let it go. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. So it's either they will pay for that sin or Jesus paid for it. I would say bitterness does not accurately represent God's kingdom or the father heart of God. Bitterness in and of itself is its own prison. And we get trapped there. We get trapped in a place where we can't let it go. We can't move on. We can't change our perspective. We can't bless others because this bitterness has taken root and it's trapped us in this place. And God does not want his children. God does not want the citizens of heaven trapped in a place of bitterness. And so, I want to end on a positive note. I want to end on a positive note. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, we'll end here. Since we are receiving, that's a promise. For those of you who are in Christ Jesus, you are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. It's unshakable. Let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and all. You are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You are receiving a kingdom where God is making all things new. You are part, if you are in Jesus, you are part of a kingdom that is beyond our ability to even comprehend it. So may our heart and desire and goal be to fix our eyes on Jesus, to fix our eyes on a kingdom that is unshaken. And even in the midst of the momentary light troubles, and I say light, understanding it as eternal, in an eternal perspective, even though those things happen to us, may we fix our eyes on Jesus and may we not allow bitterness to kill us and corrupt others around us. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would help us. Father, I fear that so many times I'm like Esau, and I just think about today. I just think about my own life, my own hurt, my own pain, the tasks that are set before me. And it's so easy for me to lose sight of the kingdom. But Jesus, you told us that we should seek first the kingdom of God. God, remind us every single day that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Father, help us to let go of those things we need to let go of. Help us to forgive the people we need to forgive. Help us. Help us to let it go, to turn it over to you, to trust you with it. Help us to approach people and life with a mindset that sees opportunities to build the kingdom rather than with a mindset that holds us back and holds us captive.
Father, I thank you for your grace. I pray that you would pour it on us more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.